Chapter Eleven of the Indian Fairy Book. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. The Indian Fairy Book by Henry R. Schoolcraft. Chapter Eleven: White Feather and the Six Giants. There was an old man living in the depth of a forest with his grandson, whom he had taken in charge when quite an infant the child had no parents brothers or sisters they had all been destroyed by six large giants and he was informed that he had no other relative living besides his grandfather the band of indians to whom he had belonged had put up their children on a wager in a race against those of the giants and had thus lost them but there was an old tradition in the tribe that one day it would produce a great man who would wear a white feather and who would astonish every one by his feats of skill and bravery the grandfather as soon as the child could play about gave him a bow and arrows to amuse himself with he went into the edge of the woods one day and saw a rabbit but not knowing what it was he ran home and described it to his grandfather who told him that its flesh was good to eat and that if he would shoot one of his arrows into its body he would kill it the boy went out again and brought home the little animal which he asked his grandfather to boil, that they might feast on it. The old man humored the boy in this, and encouraged him to go on acquiring the knowledge of hunting, until he could kill deer and the larger kinds of game. And thus he became, as he grew up, an expert hunter. As they lived alone and away from other Indians, the curiosity of the stripling was excited to know what was passing in the world one day he came to the edge of a prairie where he saw ashes like those at his grandfather's lodge and lodge poles left standing he returned and inquired whether his grandfather had put up the poles and made the fire no answered the old man nor do i believe that you have seen anything of the kind you must have lost your sense to be thinking of such things another day the youth went out to see what there was within a day's hunt that was curious and on entering the woods he heard a voice calling out to him come here you who are destined to wear the white feather you do not wear it yet but you are worthy of it return home and take a short nap you will dream of hearing a voice which will tell you to rise and smoke you will see in your dream a pipe a smoking sack and a large white feather when you awake you will find these articles put the feather on your head and you will become a great hunter a great warrior, and a great man, able to do anything. As a proof that these things shall come to pass, when you smoke, the smoke will turn into pigeons. The voice then informed the youth who he was, and made known the character of his grandfather, who was imposing upon him to serve his own ends. The voice spirit then caused a vine to be laid at his side, and told him that he was now of an age to avenge the wrongs of his kindred. When you meet your enemy, the spirit added, you will run a race with him. He will not see the vine, because it is enchanted. While you are running, you will throw it over his head and entangle him, so that you will win the race. Long before this speech was ended, the youth had turned to the quarter from which the voice proceeded, and was astonished to behold a man. As yet he had never seen any human being besides his grandfather. As he looked more keenly, he saw that this man, who had the looks of great age, was wood from the breast downward, and that he appeared to be fixed in the earth. As the youth's eye dwelt upon this strange being, the countenance by degrees faded away. 
and when he advanced to the spot where it had addressed him, it was gone. He returned home, slept, and in the midst of his slumbers, as from the hollow of the air, heard the voice, awakened, and found the promised gifts. It was all just as the old man had said. The grandfather on awakening was greatly surprised to find the youth with a white feather on his forehead and to see flocks of pigeons flying out of the lodge. He then remembered the old tradition, and knowing that now the day had come when he should lose control of his charge, he bitterly bewailed the hour. Possessed of his three magic gifts, the young man departed the next morning to seek his enemies and to demand revenge. The six giants lived in a very high lodge in the middle of a wood. He traveled on with good heart till he reached this lodge, where he found that his coming had been made known by the little spirits who carry the news. The giants hastened out and gave a cry of joy as they saw him drawing near. When he approached within hail, they began to make sport of him, saying, Here comes the little man with the white feather, who is to achieve such wonderful wonders. When, however, he had arrived among them, they spoke him fair, saying he was a brave man and would do brave things. Their object was to encourage him, so that he would be bold to engage in some foolhardy trial of strength. Without paying much heed to their fine speeches, White Feather went fearlessly into their lodge, and without waiting for invitation, he challenged them to a foot-match. They agreed, and by way of being easy at first, told him to begin the race with the smallest of their number. The point to which they were to run was a peeled tree toward the rising sun, and then back to the starting place, which was a war-club of iron. Whoever won this stake was empowered to use it in dispatching the defeated champion. If White Feather should overcome the first giant, he was to try the second, and so on, until they had all measured speed with him. To this the giants agreed without a thought that he would survive the first trial. But White Feather feared nothing, and by a dexterous use of the vine, gained the race, struck down his competitor, and cut off his head. The next morning he raced with the second giant, whom he also outran, killed, and beheaded. He went on in this way for five mornings, always conquering by the aid of his vine, and lopping off the heads of the vanquished. Finally, the last of the giants who was yet to run with him acknowledged his power, but prepared secretly to deceive him. By way of parley, he proposed that White Feather should leave the heads with him, and offered to give him a handsome start for odds. This White Feather declined, as he preferred to keep the heads as trophies of his victory. On his way to the giant's lodge the sixth morning, White Feather met his old counselor in the woods. He was standing rooted in the earth as before. He told White Feather that he was about to give him a word of warning. On your way this morning, he said, you will meet the most beautiful woman in the world, but do not trust her or pay the least attention to her. As soon as you catch her eye, you must wish yourself changed into an elk. The change will take place immediately. Do not look at her again. White Feather thanked his kind adviser, who even as he spoke was disappearing as before, then proceeded toward the lodge. He had not gone far before he met the maiden, who was indeed as lovely as the morning's light. This was White Feather's first sight of a maiden, and he was greatly disposed to linger. But remembering the counselor's words, he lost no time in becoming an elk. At this the maiden began to reproach him that he had cast aside the form of a man so that he might avoid her. I have traveled a great distance, she said, to see you and to become your wife, 
for I have heard of your great achievements and admire you very much. Now this woman was the sixth giant, who had assumed this disguise to entrap White Feather, but without a suspicion of her real character, her reproaches and her beauty affected him so deeply that he wished himself a man again, and at once resumed his natural shape. Then they sat down and began to talk together. Soothed by her smiles and gracious manner, he laid his head on her lap, and in a little while fell into a deep slumber. Even then, such was her fear of White Feather, she doubted whether his sleep might not be feigned. To assure herself, she pushed his head aside, and seeing that he remained unconscious, she quickly assumed the form of the sixth giant. He took the plume from the brow of White Feather and placed it upon his own head. Then, with a sudden blow of his war club, the giant changed White Feather into a dog, in which form he followed his enemy to the lodge. While these things were passing, there were living in an Indian village at some distance two sisters, the daughters of a chief. These sisters were rivals, and they were at that very time fasting to acquire power for enticing the wearer of the white feather to visit their lodge. They each secretly hoped to win his love, and each had built a lodge on the border of the village encampment. The giant, knowing this and having become possessed of the magic plume, went immediately to visit them. As he approached, the sisters who were on the lookout at their lodge doors espied and recognized the feather. The elder sister had prepared her lodge with great show, and all the finery she could command, so as to attract the eye. The younger touched nothing in her lodge, but left it in its ordinary state. The elder went out to meet the giant and invited him in. He accepted her invitation and made her his wife. The younger sister invited the enchanted dog into her lodge, prepared him a good supper and a neat bed, and treated him with much attention. The giant, supposing that whoever possessed the white feather, possessed also all its virtues, went out upon the prairie to hunt, hallooing aloud to the game to come and be killed. But the great hubbub he kept up scared them away, and he returned at night with nothing but himself, for he had shouted so lustily all day long that he had been obliged to leave even the mighty halloo behind. The dog went out the same day hunting upon the banks of a river. He stole quietly along to a certain spot, and stepping into the water drew out a stone, which instantly became a beaver. The next day the giant followed the dog, and hiding behind a tree, watched the manner in which the dog hunted in the river, and drew out a stone, which at once turned into a beaver. Aha! said the giant to himself, I will catch some beaver for myself. So as soon as the dog had left the place, the giant went to the river and, imitating the dog, drew out a stone. He was delighted to see it changed into a fine fat beaver as soon as it touched the land. Tying it to his belt, he hastened home, shouting a good deal and brandishing the white feather about, as if he were prepared now to show them what he could do when he once tried. And when he reached home he threw the beaver down, as is the custom, at the door of the lodge before he entered. After being seated a short time, he gave a dry cough and bade his wife bring in his hunting girdle. She made dispatch to obey him, and presently returned with the girdle, with nothing tied to it but a stone. The next day the dog, finding that his method of catching beavers had been discovered, went to a wood at some distance, and broke off a charred limb from a burned tree. This limb instantly became a bear. The giant, who appeared to have lost faith in his hullabalooing, again watched him, did exactly as the dog had done, and carried a bear home. But his wife, when she came to go out for it, 
found nothing but a black stick tied to his belt and so it happened with everything whatever the dog undertook prospered whatever the giant attempted failed and even his brave halloo had now died away to a feeble chirp every day the younger sister had reason to be more proud of the poor dog she had asked into her lodge and every day the elder sister was made more aware that though she had married the white feather the virtues of the magic plume were not the personal property of the noisy giant at last the wife determined that she would go to her father and make known to him what a valuable husband she had and how he furnished her lodge with a great abundance of sticks and stones which he would pass upon her for bear and beaver so when her husband had started for the hunt she set out as soon as these two had gone away from the neighborhood the dog made signs to his mistress to sweat him after the manner of the indians he had always been a good dog and she was willing to oblige him she accordingly made a lodge just large enough for him to creep in she then put in heated stones and poured water upon them raising a vapor that filled the lodge and searched with its warmth to the very heart's core of the enchanted dog when this had been kept up for the customary time the enchanted dog was completely sweated away and out came in his stead a very handsome young man but unhappily he was without the power of speech in taking away the form of the dog it appears that the sweating lodge had also carried off his voice with it meantime the elder sister had reached her father's lodge and had told him with much circumstance and a very long face how her sister was supporting an idle dog and entertaining him as her husband in her anxiety to make known her sister's affairs and the great scandal she was bringing upon the family the elder sister forgot to say anything of the sticks and stones which her own husband brought home for bears and beavers the old man listening to his daughter and suspecting that there was magic about sent a deputation of young men and women to ask his younger daughter to come to him and to bring her dog along with her when the deputation reached the lodge they were surprised to find in the place of the dog a fine young man and on announcing their message they all returned to the old chief who was no less surprised at the change he immediately assembled all the old and wise heads of the nation to come and be witness to the exploits which it was reported that the young man could perform the sixth giant although neither very old nor very wise thrust himself in among the relations of the old chief when they were all assembled and seated in a circle the old chief took his pipe and filled it and passed it to the indians around to see if anything would happen when they smoked they passed it on until it came to the dog who made a sign that it should be handed first to the giant and this was done and the giant puffed with all his might and shook the white feather upon his head and swelled his chest but nothing came of it except a great deal of smoke the dog then took it himself he made a sign to them to put the white feather upon his head this was no sooner done than he recovered his speech and beginning to draw upon the pipe at the same moment behold immense flocks of white and blue pigeons rushed from the smoke then white feather at the request of the company faithfully recounted his history and the sixth giant was known for what he was so the old chief who was a magician too ordered that he should be transformed into a dog and turned into the middle of the village where the boys could pelt him to death with clubs this being done the whole six giants were at an end and never troubled that neighborhood again for ever after
the chief then gave out a further command at the request of white feather that all the young men should employ themselves four days in making arrows white feather also asked for a buffalo robe this he cut into thin shreds and in the night went secretly and sewed them about the prairie in every direction at the end of the four days he invited the young men to gather together all of their arrows and to accompany him to a buffalo hunt when they got out upon the prairie they found it covered with a great herd of buffaloes of these they killed as many as they pleased and afterward they had a grand festival in honor of white feather's triumph over the giants all this being pleasantly over white feather got his wife to ask her father's permission to go with him on a visit to his grandfather the old chief replied that a woman must follow her husband into whatever quarter of the world he may choose to go so bidding farewell to all his friends white feather placed the plume in his frontlet took his war-club in his hand and led the way into the forest followed by his faithful wife End of chapter eleven